Good morning. We have a very good crowd this morning. It does feel like we're home, doesn't it? It's wonderful to be together. It's wonderful to have this blessing. It's wonderful to be able to sing praises to our God and to study His Word and to be with like-minded people who are all working toward the same goal, who all have the same Lord, and who all share the same love. And I want to talk about love this morning. Uh, If you've been with us and you've been watching some of the video productions that we put out during our time apart, uh, I started a series on wisdom, and we talked a great deal about humility being a necessary ingredient for receiving true wisdom. And today we're going to talk about love and how love has a wisdom in and of itself. We're going to take our reading from Philippians chapter 1. We'll have the scriptures on the screen for your convenience this morning. We're going to start in Philippians chapter 1 verses 9 through 11. Paul writing here says, and this I pray. I just want to stop right there. And this I pray. When Paul makes a statement like that, and he makes that a lot in his books, it is telling us that there is a desire that Paul has, there's a longing that he has for those people, for God's people, that is so important to him that he takes that before God. In other words, this is important. Paul says, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in all knowledge or in knowledge and in all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God now every one of us understands that without knowledge You cannot be wise, right? We all understand that. Knowledge is absolutely critical to being a person of wisdom. But there's something Paul says here that I want us all to recognize this morning, and that's this. Knowledge in and of itself is not enough. It's not good enough. And notice what Paul says. I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. You know, we have a saying we use, knowledge is power. It is, right? Knowledge is power. But there's something that Paul tells us here about us and our pleasing our God. Notice There's a reason for having love abounding in knowledge and judgment. Look at verse 10 again. Here's why Paul prays that we have love abounding. He says, because I want you to be able to approve the things that are excellent. And that word approve means I want you to be able to test and to approve what is the best for you and for others. And... I want you to have love abounding so that you can be sincere. That word sincere, as Brother Aaron has taught us a few times, means without wax. It means genuine. It means pure. He says, I want you to be pure. He says, I want you to be without offense. In other words, I want you to be presented as innocent when we meet our God. And thirdly, he says, I want you to have love abounding in knowledge and in all judgment so you can be filled with 
with the fruit of righteousness. So let's just back up for a second. Let's do some critical thinking here and ask the question, is knowledge good enough? Absolutely not. Because Paul is telling us in order for us to be the kind of Christian God wants us to be, to be the kind of child that glorifies our Father's name, to be the kind of person that can look and make good judgments and use knowledge in the right way, there must first be overflowing love. So, I had a phone call early in the week from a young man, young Christian man, and uh, he said, Ian, I'm disturbed at what I'm seeing right now. And I said, well, join the club. <laughs> We've got jackets. <laughs> he said, I've, I've got pressure from different brothers and sisters on both sides of these issues. And he said, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. Maybe you've been feeling that same pressure. And I'm going to tell you the same thing that I told him. You need to be with Christ. That's where you need to be. And, and don't ask the question, do I need to join this group or this group or be with this person or this person? What we need to be asking is, what would Jesus be doing in this situation? What is his take on this situation? And I'm not going to talk about our current situations. I just want you to understand that I really appreciate this young man calling and asking the question because what he is saying is this. I need more knowledge about this subject so I can make the right decision. Knowledge is power. However, when we just try to figure a situation out just with knowledge, we're going to run into some problems. Unless we view that knowledge through the lens of God's love, of our love, and of love in general. So, I want to preface our lesson with something. You may this morning say, he's preaching to me. And you know what? You're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Because I preach to you every time I get up here. But I want to tell you something else. In putting this lesson together and considering the thoughts that we're going to look at from God's Word today, I'll tell you who else I'm preaching at. I'm preaching right at me. Because if you look at some of the things we're talking about, you say, I have failed. Guess what? Me too. Because it is hard to have the relationships that we do and never make a mistake. Okay? So I want to just preface it with that. That, that understand if I'm passionate and I'm loud and... <laughs> I'm looking right in the mirror too, okay? But I'm preaching at you too. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and 2, Paul says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Let's just really take this and break it down. Let's just say that Today, you knew everything that was ever going to happen in the future, that God told you everything, and you had the gift of prophecy and knew everything there was to know. You knew everything that wasn't yet revealed, and you had all knowledge, every single piece of knowledge that existed in the world, you had it, and you had such a strong faith, you could say to the Mount, Mount Everest, be removed and cast in the sea, and it would obey in the name of the Lord Jesus. And he said, if you didn't have love, you are nothing. Nothing. I'd say that's a 
big, huge statement, isn't it? So, for our purposes, if we're going to talk about having abounding love, it's necessary that we have a reminder. A reminder of what love really is. Because, look, there's, there's people right now that are trying to define what love is. We're following. They had men of influence. And you read about that in the first chapter. And what Paul says is, look, you've got all these differences. You've got... Uh, different backgrounds, different cultures, you're all coming together, I get it, there's problems, but here's the solution to every single problem that I've addressed in this letter, and it's real simple, love each other. And you know, some people look at that and they say, well, that's not enough. It's absolutely enough. It's absolutely enough. Every problem in every relationship would disappear. Simple as that. And here's what he says. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy your boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong. We fail. We do, don't we? We fail. And, and you know, sometimes I give myself a pass because there's something that I know that I can be irritable at home. And you know why I can be irritable at home? Because they're my family, and they're going to be really irritated as well for a little while, but they're going to forgive me. You know why? Because of how much they love me, because I'm either a husband or a father. And I think that we may, what else Paul said in Romans 13, 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. So if we're going to ask the question, is love good enough? Well, here's your answer. Here's your answer. That every single law that God has ever given us, every command that he's ever given us, hangs from one thing, and that's this, love. So love is more than just my affection for you. It's more than just my sentiment towards you. Love is the way that I encounter could be encountered with love. So I want to first think about this. We need abounding love in understanding what we know. So Paul says, I want you to have overflowing love in knowledge, in all knowledge, in all discernment. So the first thing I want us to notice is that we need abounding love in understanding what we know. And you say, well, I, I'm, I, I have no, I'm not tracking with you. What do you mean understanding what we know? So let's start here. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor, giving preference to one another. Now, I want to do some word breakdown here for a moment. We, and we did this, and I thought, well, this is a repeat. Well, it was three years ago, so you may or may not remember that. So the words kindly and affectionate, okay? That's words translated from one word that actually means have a family type love okay the word kindly is actually like kin you know he's my kin if you say that if you're a redneck like me and you say he's my kin that's what the word means kindred kindly means the same thing have a family affection for one another with brotherly love in honor that means value one another and then giving preference to one another that means to show deference that means we don't think evil of one another immediately we 
look at each other through a certain lens. And let me just explain why we're looking at this passage. So, someone meets you in public, and they say, Ian, uh, do you know Warren Joyner? And I say, yeah, I know Warren Joyner. We go to church together. He goes, oh, okay. Well, let me just tell you something. That's really not true. (laughs) You say, what do you mean? You're here right now. You're at church together. But that's really not true. That's not who Warren is to me. Someone says, Ian, do you know Warren Joyner? Yes, I do. Warren Joyner is my brother. That's different, isn't it? Very different. And that's why I brought up the idea of family. Because we understand family. We understand the bond that we had that Nathan talked about when he was making announcements. We understand what we share, what makes us family. And when we lose that, I'll tell you what we lose. We lose love. And all of a sudden, knowledge overwhelms us. And it's all about knowledge. And it's all about differences. We can't lose that. We have to be understanding of what we know through the lens of love. And here's some things we need to understand. What you know may be different from what I know. You say, well, what do you mean? I'm not talking about the Bible, okay? We, we understand that. We're all looking at the Bible to to have our truth, right? To understand what truth is. But there's things that you may know that I don't know. And that's because you weren't raised by the same parents that I was. So most likely there's a lot of traditions that you have that are different from my traditions. You didn't grow up in the same place that I did. So there's a lot of things you may have learned that I didn't learn. And I'm not trying to say that my standard's better than yours or yours is better than mine. I'm saying we need to be understanding of that when we're talking to someone about a difference. When we're looking at that person and we're going, what's wrong with you? Why don't you understand? Why aren't you getting this? Maybe it's because we came from different places with different perspectives because we had different experiences. And we need to be mindful of this no matter what your experiences are what your differences are at the end of the day you are my sister you are my brother and that's what matters most that's what matters most so let's think just a moment about colossians 3 and 12 Colossians 3 and verse 12, Paul says, Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You know, most of these are what we read a moment ago from 1 Corinthians 13, aren't they? That were descriptions of real, true, biblical, what we call agape love. But I want you to notice that they all lead us to a certain place. Notice, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. You know what these passages are about? They're about the bond. That's what they're about. And about keeping the bond. That is what glues us together, what binds us together. And you know what? To do that, you know what we've got to do? We've got to forgive one another. And you say, okay, no, no, 
We've got to forgive one another. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. Really, really think on this. Whoever covers an offense, what's he mean by that? What's it mean to cover an offense? It means to hide it. Seeks love. So we need to be understanding of what we know. Well, here's the thing. Relationships sometimes get messy. And when we look at a relationship, there's a lot that we know about that relationship. You know what? Every single relationship has bad encounters. I've yet to have one that didn't. And you might say, well, I know this guy that we've seen each other five. That's not what I'm talking about. Someone you see five times a year. I'm talking about a relationship. Someone you're around, someone you're close to, someone you work with, someone you see every day. There's always some type of negative encounter, isn't there? What do you do with that? Well, I'll tell you what we sometimes do with it, okay? Monty, I forgive you for kicking me in the shin. And he's going, I don't remember kicking you in the shin because you didn't. But that's what we do. We take all these negative encounters that we've had in a relationship and we build a monument and every time a new negative encounter comes up, we take a hammer and a chisel and we etch it in stone and when we see that person, we go, okay, hold on, there, there they are. Let me first look at the monument. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. That's what we do. And that's why Paul says we've got to forgive one another. Because if you build a monument, guess what I don't see? I don't see a brother. I see the monument. Every time I see the monument, guess what? I'm going to make you mad. I'm going to irritate you. I'm going to annoy you. Ask my wife. <laughs> she will tell you. And guess what? You're going to make me mad. <laughs> if we're around each other all the time, we're going to disagree on something. We're going to get upset at each other. Don't build the monument. Destroy the monument. You know why? Because the monument separates relationships it destroys relationships that's what the monument does so if we're seeking love in what we know what I may know about you is very differently processed if first I view what I know seeking love why did Christ forgive you you say, well, because he shed his blood. and because, No, that's how Christ forgave you. Why did Christ forgive you? Is it because you finally satisfied his standard of reconciliation? Is it because we're worthy, we deserve his forgiveness? Why did Christ forgive you? Because he loves you. And that's what Paul said. He said, if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive even as Christ forgave you. So maybe you're having trouble forgiving a brother. Maybe you've got a monument built. Well, here's the answer how to destroy that monument. Love them more than you love the monument. 
Love them more than you love yourself. Love them more than the emotions that you may still have attached to that monument every time you see it. Have abounding, overflowing love. And secondly, we need to have abounding love in how we express what we know. And I'll just be honest with you, here's where I'm looking in the mirror. Because I will tell you, this is a struggle. It's a struggle. And, and, I, and, and to kind of introduce what we're talking about, I want to read three verses from the same chapter of Proverbs. We're just going to read them, and then we're going to think about them, okay? Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in, in expressing his own heart. Okay, Proverbs 18 and verse 15, the heart of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. Now verse 13, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Do you see a common theme? Here's the common theme, mouth and ears. Now he sets two sides of the pendulum here, the fool and the wise. So let's look at what he says about the mouth and about the ears. A fool, he says, has no delight in understanding but in expressing. So what does he say about the fool? He doesn't want to listen. He doesn't care what you know. He doesn't care about listening. What he cares about is telling you what he knows. Now look at verse 15. The heart of the prudent, that's the wise, the righteous, acquires knowledge and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. That's a contrast with verse 2. Now look at verse 13. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. What does he mean by that? So, if we're the, verse 2, and we really don't have any delight in understanding, when someone's talking, what are we doing? Waiting, waiting, waiting. Oh, there's the moment. We don't hear what they're saying. We're just waiting for them to shut up so we can talk. And listen to what he says in, the, in this last verse. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. I've had conversations like this, haven't you? And I've been on both sides of it. Where I have not really thought and considered what they were saying, but I answered and they said, where'd you get that? I wasn't saying that. And I go, wait a minute, you weren't? Because <laughs> I was busy thinking about what I was going to say. And so there's something else in the Proverbs that I'll tell you is really good for me to think about and good for you as well, and that's this. The heart of the righteous studies how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. Now I want you to hold on to this idea that the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil because we're going to jump right off into that in just a second, but I want to think about this first statement. Uh, if you remember our study from Psalms chapter 1, we talked about someone delighting and meditating in the law of the Lord. Do you remember that? Do you remember what the word meditate means? Okay, it's the, the Hebrew word hagah, which means to ponder something, to consider something, to think on something with focus for an indefinite amount of time. 
That's the same word that's used here. The word studies. Same Hebrew word. Let's look at it again. The heart of the righteous ponders, listen, how to answer. You know what that means sometimes when someone says something to me and there's an awkward pause and they're going, well, he doesn't know what to say. You know what? They're right. I don't know what to say. (laughs) But maybe that person is pondering what to say because they don't want to just pour forth something that they don't yet understand. And there's no shame in someone asking you something or approaching you with something. You're saying, well, you know what? I don't know. Let me think about that. That's what God says the heart of the righteous will do. And most of the time, when we're in a rush to give an answer, we end up looking silly. And what we're really trying to do is, I don't want them to think I don't know what I'm talking about, so let's just give an answer real quick. You say, well, that's judgmental. I'm judging myself. Maybe you've had that same experience. You don't have to give an answer. And honestly, it's better to not give an answer than to give an impulsive one. Look at this verse. This one goes right along with this idea of the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. And I don't know about you, but I love the metaphors that Solomon uses in the Proverbs because they're very visual. And listen to this one. The beginning of strife is like releasing water. Therefore, stop contention before a quarrel starts. So he looks at this and he says, the beginning of strife is like opening the floodgates of the Hoover Dam. You know what happens when the floodgates open? There is some raw power that comes out that you cannot withstand. I went and uh, replaced a water heater at my grandparents' place. uh, uh, I guess it's been about 10 days ago or something like that. And... uh, some type of internal uh, component of this always causes sludge to build up in the bottom of it. So it wouldn't drain. And uh, it's just like the other one. It was only in there a year and a half, but it wouldn't drain. So I went and got a hanger and sat there. And I'm telling you, 20 minutes long of just taking a hanger and just doing this, just running it in there, trying to get it to break loose. And I finally thought, well, I'm just going to take the valve off. And so I took the valve off. Well, nothing's happening. It's just sitting there so I took the hanger and I stuck it in there and it went and just shot a stream across the basement so I grabbed that valve and shut it back on but it was too late I was a I was a mess and uh it wasn't water it was sludge just all over me that's what a quarrel's like look at what he says stop contention before a quarrel starts Now, what I should have done, because I did this after the fact, was gone up and got the wet vac and held it in front of that and opened the valve. But I didn't do that. You know what I did? I was just very impulsive. I'm tired of running this hanger in there. I want something to come out, so here it goes. And we do that with our words. We get impatient. We don't think the discussion's going where it should. We start ramming the hanger in with the valve off, and all of a sudden, here come the floodgates. You go, whoa, whoa, whoa. You need to calm down. Do they? <laughs> or maybe we shouldn't have opened the floodgate. Maybe it's our fault. But it's real simple. 
Don't open the floodgate. Well, you say, well, you keep saying that. I don't know what you mean by that. Well, let's look at what he says. It's about being impulsive. It's about being careful. It's about being intentional with our words. It's about studying to answer. It's about making sure that I have an understanding of the situation, of who you are to me, and that before I speak, those things are in place. So that when I give a response, it's a response out of love. Romans 12 and 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your, high, your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinions. So I don't want to say a whole lot about this, except for I want to do this. I want us to consider something. I want us to at least entertain the notion uh, that, that many of our opinions are not based on facts. Myself included. That sometimes they're nothing more than just something that we very strongly believe in. And I'll tell you this, we need to be considerate of one another's opinions. And we also need to be considerate of our own opinions. And here's what I mean. I've been seeing something lately, uh, not here, but I've been seeing something lately that greatly disturbs me. I'm going to word it like this. In 2020, right now, with everything that's going on, the new golden calf are people's opinions. And the acceptable sacrifice is their brothers and sisters in Christ. That disturbs me. When my opinion becomes more important than you... I've got a problem. And I'll tell you, if I have ever expressed my opinion with such passion that it made you feel like I didn't love you, I'm sorry for that. If I've ever expressed my opinion in such a manner that caused you to doubt your worth and your value to me, then I'm wrong. Opinions are fine. It's okay to have them. But opinions have their proper place. We can have a discussion on our opinions. And that needs to be done with calmness. It needs to be done with love. And the moment that we shove love out of the way and go, yeah, but I'm right. And here I come. Get ready. Because the floodgates are about to open. And we need to be very careful about the way that we express what we know. There we go. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. You've heard this verse, haven't you? I know you've heard this verse because I've heard Franklin use it a lot. And, and I want to I back this verse up and put it with a couple other verses that precede it. And I want us to see the impact and the power of this verse alongside of verse 19. He says, a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city. And contentions are like the bars of a castle. What does that mean? You know what a strong city is? It's not like today. 
A strong city was one that had a great fortress, a stronghold that could keep out the enemy. And what you needed to overcome a strong city was an army of people who were greater than the stronghold. And oftentimes that didn't happen. Now let's take that and look at what he says. A brother offended is harder to win than that. You know what, my family, they have forgiven me a lot for being insensitive, for being impatient, for saying rude things, for raising my voice. They've forgiven me a lot. But sometimes, sometimes a brother, especially a weaker brother, someone who's already having spiritual struggles, they don't have such an easy time forgetting the monument. And I bring that up not to indict anyone or make anyone feel guilty. I bring it up to say this. We, as God's people, can't forget who we are. And that every single word needs to be intentional because we underestimate the power of our words to kill or to give life. We have to. Use our words with love. Lastly, I want to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. Paul says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The reason why I chose to end with this scripture is, is to say if, just a few things as we close. And, and one of those things is this. We've, we've been apart for some time. We've been apart for some time. And, uh, you know, I said at the first of this lesson, it does feel like home, doesn't it? But I'll tell you what doesn't feel like home. And that's you walking in. And us looking at each other and going, I'd really like to hug your neck right now. <laughs> that's hard, isn't it? And I'll tell you why it's hard. Because that's a way that we express our love for each other. And you know what it does? It, it gives us this knowledge that we truly love each other. And it reminds us of who we are to each other. And now we've had to take that away and so we have to be very careful that because we don't have that reminder because we don't have that feeling that we don't get cross with one another and irritated you know why because we could get complacent we could get flippant and we could think well it's okay but I want you to notice what he says in the last verse endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace unity doesn't just happen it doesn't just happen I promise you, if we stop working to be united, if we stop endeavoring to be united, we won't be united as much as we love each other. And so we got to work at it. And while we can't hug each other, we can express our love in different ways. And we can do that through what we've talked about this morning. We can be understanding. We can be patient. We can be kind. We can be calm. We can be compassionate. We can communicate in such a way to remind each other of who we are.
and how much we love each other. Friends, I hope that the lesson this morning, uh, I hope it stepped on your toes. <laughs> I'll just be honest. I hope it stepped on your toes because it stomped mine. And I think it's a good reminder for us just to back up sometimes and remind ourselves of who we are and who God wants us to be. Friends, if you're here today and you're not a child of God, we want to encourage you to become one. And maybe you're here today and you are a child of God. Maybe you've had struggles. Maybe you've been discouraged. I don't know your heart. But I can guarantee you this. The Lord understands what's going on in your life. And there's no greater one to bring those issues to than to Jesus Christ. Because he cares for you. He loves you. And he wants your best. So if you need Jesus Christ this morning, we've reserved these three seats at the front. Come and have a seat and we will help you as we stand and we sing.